0: THE PHENOMENA OF SEXUAL PERIODICITY, PART 1, SECTION 2 OF STUDIES IN THE PSYCHOLOGY OF SEX, VOLUME 1, BY Havelock ELLIS. THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING. ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. FOR MORE INFORMATION OR TO VOLUNTEER, PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG. READ BY JOHN FRICKER. THE PHENOMENA OF SEXUAL PERIODICITY, PART 1, SECTION 2 what is menstruation it is easy to describe it by its obvious symptoms as a monthly discharge of blood from the uterus but nearly as much as that was known in the infancy of the world when we seek to probe more intimately into the nature of menstruation we are still baffled not merely as regards its cause but even as regards its precise mechanism the primary cause of menstruation remains unexplained the cause of menstruation remains as obscure as ever So conclude two of the most thorough and cautious investigators into this subject. It is, however, widely accepted that the main cause of menstruation is a rhythmic contraction of the uterus, the result of a disappointed preparation for impregnation, a kind of miniature childbirth. This seems to be the most reasonable view of menstruation, i.e. as an abortion of a decidua. Burdack, according to Beard, was the first who described menstruation as an abortive parturition. The hypothesis, Marshall and Jolly conclude, that the entire proestrus process is of the nature of a preparation for the lodgment of the ovum is in accordance with the facts. Fortunately, since we are here primarily concerned with its psychological aspects, the precise biological cause and the physiological nature of menstruation do not greatly concern us there is however one point which of late years has been definitely determined and which should not be passed without mention the relation of menstruation to ovulation it was once supposed that the maturation of an ovule in the ovaries was the necessary accompaniment and even cause of menstruation we now know that ovulation proceeds throughout the whole of life even before birth and during gestation and that removal of the ovaries by no means necessarily involves a cessation of menstruation it has been shown that regular and even excessive menstruation may take place in the congenital absence of a trace of ovaries or fallopian tubes on the other hand a rudimentary state of the uterus and a complete absence of menstruation may exist with well-developed ovaries and normal ovulation we must regard the uterus as to some extent an independent organ and menstruation is a process which arose, no doubt, with the object, teleologically speaking, of cooperating more effectively with ovulation, but has become largely independent. It is sometimes stated that menstruation may be entirely absent in perfect health. Few cases of this condition have, however, been recorded with the detail necessary to prove the assertion one such case was investigated by dr w h mitchell and described in a paper read to the new york county medical society february twenty second eighteen ninety two to be found in medical reprints june eighteen ninety two the subject was a young unmarried woman twenty four years of age she was born in ireland and until her emigration lived quietly at home with her parents being then twenty years of age she left home and came to new york Up to that time no signs of menstruation had appeared, and she had never heard that such a function existed. Soon after her arrival in New York she obtained a situation as a waiting maid, and it was noticed after a time that she was not unwell at each month. Friends filled her ears with wild stories about the dreadful effects likely to follow, the absence of menstruation. This worried her greatly and, as a consequence, she became pale and anemic, with loss of flesh, appetite, and sleep, and a long train of imaginary nervous symptoms. She presented herself for treatment and insisted upon a uterine examination. This revealed no pathological condition of her uterus. She was assured that she would not die, or become insane, nor a chronic invalid. In consequence, she soon forgot that she differed in any way from other girls. A course of chalybeate tonics, generous diet, and proper care of her general health soon restored her to her normal condition. After close observation for several years, she submitted to a thorough examination, although entirely free from any abnormal symptoms. The examination revealed the following physical condition: Weight, one hundred and five pounds. Her weight before leaving Ireland was one hundred and thirty. Girth of chest, twenty-nine and a half inches. Girth of abdomen, 25 inches. Girth of pelvis, thirty-four and a half inches. Girth of thigh, upper third, 20 inches. Heart, healthy. Sounds and rhythm, perfectly normal. Pulse, 76. Lungs, healthy. Respiratory murmur. Clear and distinct over every part. Respiration, easy and 20 per minute. The mammae are well-developed, firm and round. Nipples, small no areola her skin is soft smooth and healthy figure erect plump and symmetrical her bowels are regular kidneys healthy she has a good appetite sleeps well and in no particular shows any signs of ill health the uterine examination reveals a short vagina and a small round cervix uteri rather less in size than the average and projecting very slightly into the vaginal canal Depth of uterus from os to fundus, two and a quarter inches, is very nearly normal. No external sign of abnormal ovaries. She is a well-developed, healthy young woman, performing all her physiological functions naturally and regularly, except the single function of menstruation. No vicarious menstruation takes place in the natural function, though she has been watched very closely during the past two years, nor the least periodical excitement. It is added that, though the clitoris is normal, the mons veneris is almost destitute of hair and the labia rather underdeveloped, while, as far as is known, sexual instincts and desire are entirely absent. These latter facts, I may add, would seem to suggest that, in spite of the health of the subject, there is yet some concealed lack of development of the sexual system of congenital character. In a case recorded by Plant in which the internal sexual organs were almost wholly undeveloped and of the menstruation absent the labia was similarly undeveloped and the pubic hair scanty while the axillary hair was wholly absent though that of the head was long and strong we may now regard as purely academic the discussion formerly carried on as to whether menstruation is to be regarded as analogous to heat in female animals for many centuries at least the resemblance has been sufficiently obvious Rakiborsky and Pouchet, who first established the regular periodicity of ovulation in mammals identified heat and menstruation during the past century there was notwithstanding an occasional tendency to deny any real connection no satisfactory grounds for this denial have however been brought forward Lawson Tate, indeed, and more recently Beard, have stated that menstruation cannot be the period of heat, because women have a disinclination to the approach of the male at that time. But, as we shall see later, this statement is unfounded. An argument which might indeed be brought forward is the very remarkable fact that, while in mammals the period of heat is the only period for sexual intercourse, among all human races from the very lowest the period of menstruation is the one period during which sexual intercourse is strictly prohibited sometimes under severe penalties even life itself this however is a social not a physiological fact Ploss and Bartels call attention to the curious contrast in this respect between heat and menstruation the same authors also mention that in the middle ages however preachers found it necessary to warn their hearers against the sin of intercourse during the menstrual period it may be added that aquinas and many other early theologians held not only that such intercourse was a deadly sin but that it engendered leprous and monstrous children some later theologians, however, like Sanchez, argued that the Mosaic enactments, such as Leviticus, chapter 20, verse 18, no longer hold good. Modern theologians, in part influenced by the tolerant traditions of Liguri, and in part by Brain, informed by medical science, no longer prohibit intercourse during menstruation or regard it as only a venial sin. We have here a remarkable but not an isolated example of the tendency of the human mind in its development to rebel against the claims of primitive nature the whole of religion is a similar remoulding of nature a repression of natural impulses an effort to turn them into new channels. Prohibition of intercourse during menstruation is a fundamental element of savage ritual, an element which is universal merely because the conditions which caused it are universal, and because, as is now beginning to be generally recognised, the causes of human psychic evolution are everywhere the same. A strictly analogous phenomenon in the sexual sphere itself is the opposed attitude in barbarism and civilization towards the sexual organs under barbaric conditions and among savages when no magio-religious ideas intervene the sexual organs are beautiful and pleasurable objects under modern conditions this is not so this difference of attitude is reflected in sculpture in savage and barbaric carvings of human beings the sexual organs of both sexes are often enormously exaggerated this is true of the archaic European figures on which Salomon Reinach has thrown so much light, but in modern sculpture, from the time when it reached its perfection in Greece onward, the sexual regions in both men and women are systematically minimized. With dancing culture, as again we shall see later, there is a conflict of claims, and certain considerations are regarded as higher and more potent than merely natural claims nakedness is more natural than clothing and on many grounds more desirable under the average circumstances of life yet everywhere under the stress of what are regarded as higher considerations there is a tendency for all races to add more and more to the burden of clothes in the same way it happens that the tendency of the female to sexual intercourse during menstruation has everywhere been overlaid by the ideas of a culture which has insisted on regarding menstruation as a supernatural phenomenon which for the protection of everybody must be strictly tabooed this tendency is reinforced and in high civilization replaced by the claims of an aesthetic regard for concealment and reserve during this period such facts are significant for the early history of culture but they must not blind us to the real analogy between heat and menstruation an analogy or even identity which may be said to be accepted now by most careful investigators it is perhaps somewhat excessive to declare, with John Stone, that woman is the only animal in which rut is omnipresent. We must admit that the two groups of phenomena merge into or replace each other, that their object is identical, that they involve similar psychic conditions. Here also we see a striking example of the way in which women preserve a primitive phenomenon, which earlier in the zoological series was common to both sexes, but which man has now lost heat and menstruation with whatever difference of detail are practically the same phenomenon we cannot understand menstruation unless we bear this in mind on the psychic state of chief normal and primitive characteristics of the menstrual state is the more predominant presence of the sexual impulse There are other mental and emotional signs of irritability and instability, which tend to slightly impair complete mental integrity, and tend to render in some unbalanced individuals explosions of anger or depression, in rarer cases crime more common. But the heightening of the sexual impulse, languor, shyness, and caprice are the more human manifestations of an emotional state which in some of the lower female animals during heat may produce a state of fury. The actual period of the menstrual flow, at all events the first two or three days, does not, among European women, usually appear to show any heightening of sexual emotion. This heightening occurs usually a few days before, and especially during the latter part of the flow, and immediately after it ceases. I have, however, convinced myself by inquiry that this absence of sexual feeling during the height of the flow is, in large part, apparent only no doubt the onset of the flow often producing a general depression of vitality may tend directly to depress the emotions which are heightened by the general emotional state and local congestion of the days immediately preceding but among some women at all events who are normal and in good health i find that the period of menstruation itself is covered by the period of the climax of sexual feeling Thus, a married lady writes, my feelings are always very strong, not only just before and after, but during the period, very unfortunately, as of course they cannot then be gratified. While a refined girl of nineteen living a chaste life without either coitus or masturbation, which she has never practised, habitually feels very strong sexual excitement about the time of menstruation, and more especially during the period, this desire torments her life prevents her from sleeping at these times and she looks upon it as a kind of illness i could quote many other similar and equally emphatic statements and the fact that so cardinal a relation of the sexual life of women should be ignored or denied by most writers on this matter is a curious proof of the prevailing ignorance this ignorance has been fostered by the fact that women often disguise even to themselves the real state of their feelings One lady remarks that while she would be very ready for coitus during menstruation, the thought that it is impossible during that time makes her put the idea of it out of her mind. I have reason to think that this statement may be taken to represent the real feelings of very many women. The aversion to coitus is real, but it is often due, not to failure of sexual desire, but to the inhibitory action of powerful extraneous causes." The absence of active sexual desire in women during the height of the flow may thus be regarded as, in part, a physiological fact, following from the correspondence of the actual menstrual flow to the period of pro and in part a psychological fact due to the aesthetic repugnance to union when in such a condition, and to the unquestioned acceptance of the general belief that at such a period intercourse is out of the question some of the strongest factors of modesty especially the fear of causing disgust and the sense of the demands of ceremonial ritual would thus help to hold in check the sexual emotions during this period and when under the influence of insanity these motives are in abeyance the coincidence of sexual desire with the menstrual flow often becomes more obvious it must be added that especially among the lower social classes the primitive belief of the savage that coitus during menstruation is bad for the man still persists and bartels mention that among the peasants of some parts of germany where it is believed that impregnation is impossible during menstruation coitus at that time would be frequent were it not thought dangerous for the man it has also been a common belief both in ancient and modern times that coitus during menstruation engenders monsters notwithstanding all the obstacles that are thus placed in the way of coitus during menstruation there is nevertheless good reason to believe that the first coitus very frequently takes place at this point of least psychic resistance when still a student i was struck by the occurrence of cases in which the seduction took place during the menstrual flow though at that time they seemed to me inexplicable except as evidencing brutality on the part of the seducer Negrier in the lying-in wards of the Hotel Dieu at Angers, constantly found the women from the country who came there pregnant as the result of a single coitus had been impregnated at or near the menstrual epoch, more especially when the period coincided with a feast day as St. John's Day or Christmas whatever doubt may exist as the most frequent state of the sexual emotions during the period of menstruation there can be no doubt whatever that immediately before and immediately after very commonly at both times this varying slightly in different women there is usually a marked heightening of actual desire it is at this period and sometimes during the menstrual flow that masturbation may take place in women who at other times have no strong autoerotic impulse the only women who do not show this heightening of sexual emotion seem to be those in whom sexual feelings have not yet been definitely called into consciousness or the small minority usually suffering from some disorder of sexual or general health in whom there is a high degree of sexual anaesthesia the majority of authorities admit a heightening of sexual emotion before or after the menstrual crisis see for example kraft eberg who places it in the postmenstrual period Adler states that sexual feeling is increased before, during, and after menstruation. Cosman advises intercourse just after menstruation, or even during the latter days of the flow, as the period when it is most needed. Gayot says that the eight days after menstruation are the period of sexual desire in women harry campbell investigated the periodicity of sexual desire in healthy women of the working classes in a series of cases by inquiries made of their husbands who were patients at a london hospital people of this class are not always skilful in observation and the method adopted would permit many facts to pass unrecorded. it is therefore noteworthy that only in one-third of the cases had no connection between menstruation and sexual feeling been observed in the other two-thirds sexual feeling was increased either before after or during the flow or at all of these times the proportion of cases in which sexual feeling was increased before the flow to those in which it was increased after was as three to two even this elementary fact of the sexual life has however been denied and strange to say by two women doctors Dr. Mary Putnam Jacobi of New York, who furnished valuable contributions to the physiology of menstruation, wrote some years ago in a paper on the theory of menstruation in reference to the question of the connection between estrus and menstruation, neither can any such rhythmical alteration of sexual instinct be demonstrated in women as would lead to the inference that the menstrual crisis was an expression of this, i.e., Of Estras, Dr. Elizabeth Blackwell, again, in her book on the human element in sex, asserts that the menstrual flow itself affords complete relief for the sexual feelings in women, like sexual emissions during sleep in men, and thus practically denies the prevalence of sexual desire in the immediately post-menstrual period, when, on such a theory, sexual feeling should be at its minimum. It is fair to add that doctor Blackwell's opinion is merely the survival of a view which was widely held a century ago, when various writers Bordeaux, Roussel, Duffiot, J. Arnold, etc, as Eckard has pointed out, regarded menstruation as a device of Providence for safeguarding the virginity of women. End of the Phenomenon of Sexual Periodicity Part one Section two